That's a good opener for the show. And welcome to the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about Marvel movies and something that we liked besides video games. My name is Bob. And uh, my name is Matt. And we're going to talk about Marvel movies and something that we didn't like besides video games, something which is a we, callback. Something that we did like. Oh, We yeah. can also talk about something we didn't like. No, no. That feels like too easy in this day and age. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> we want to dig for the diamonds. Um, but first, we're going to talk about Marvel movies. Yeah. We're going to talk specifically about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man 2, the second Ant-Man. The first one was so good, you begged for a sequel. Here it is, America. I can't believe they made two of these. All right, so um, let's let's just get it out of the way first. Uh, devotees will recall that Ant-Man is currently... At number 18 in our listing. It is uh, ahead of only the Incredible Hulk, a decision that I sometimes feel weird about. I feel fine with that decision. You haven't seen the Incredible Hulk recently. Yeah, but like at least that is like a funny mess. I would argue that Ant-Man is somewhat a funny mess. I think it's just like, that movie is bad. Ant-Man is not a good movie. No, Ant-Man's a bad movie. Um, so luckily they brought the same director back for <laughs> Ant-Man 2. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is directed by Peyton Reed. My boy Peyton Reed, yeah, it, uh, who directed, I saw Bring It On. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Well. So, he's only gone down. That, pay, that paid off here. <laughs> um, I think Peyton Reed has probably directed quite a bit of stuff. He seems like a guy that Hollywood can just go to and just say, hey, we don't really care about continuity. You just make a movie for us. He definitely just made a movie for them. Yeah. Um, so, he's back, and yes. he's making Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, it was written by five human beings, breathing people, breathing people, actual people were involved. One in this. uncredited ant. <laughs> I wish <laughs> just for the diversity of the writers. Room. Well, yeah, they, they needed a consultant who could be yeah. like, yeah, that's accurately like, that's how we live as ants. Yeah. An empathy reader, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the people who wrote this was Paul Rudd, Good which for him. just boggles my mind more because as I think we will get into, Paul Rudd continues to be the worst part of these movies. I don't think that's necessarily Paul Rudd's fault. I, but yes. I'm not I'm not saying it is either. Okay. It, just, it makes it more unbelievable that he had a <laughs> role in writing this and still like to the degree maybe this time it is a little bit Paul Rudd's fault. If he co wrote this movie, we can't say like they're just not giving him anything to work with. Because the reality <laughs> is that Paul Rudd didn't give Paul Rudd anything to work with. I think that he's got a tall order because his character makes no effing sense. But, yeah. okay, we begin in the past. <laughs> That's unusual. I haven't I haven't seen that before. I know. It's a Marvel movie. We're back in time. Yeah, it's uh, specifically 1987. Year of my birth. Really? Yeah, is that not yours? No, I was 86. Hanging out with a boomer. I'm I'm not quite a year older than you. Oh, you are you are very close to a year older than me, though. Yeah. Wow. Because you're October eighth. How's it feel to rob the cradle for this production? <laughs> I tried to find someone my own age, but it's just hard. Yeah. They've already got podcasts, all of them. <laughs> They're all paired off. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So 1987, and uh, I think that the first thing that we see is that Michelle Pfeiffer's in this movie. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer is in this movie. She was in the previous movie, was briefly? she? Or was I don't think so because i think you only see the wasp in the flashbacks like in her costume that's possible so 
for those who don't remember the intricate and extremely complex plot of Ant-Man... Um, it's got nothing on this one. <laughs> in the 1980s, it, as we are learning now, 1987, there was a nuke coming for the United States. Um, for whatever reason, uh, reasons I kind of forget, Frank Pym? Frank Pym? Hank Pym. Hank Pym. Pym. Hank Pym. Hank? Hank. Pym. Hank. Michael Douglas. Yeah. Uh, Michael Douglas playing Hank Pym. Yeah. Hank Pym. Uh, is the Ant-Man in the past. He has invented a suit that makes him big, makes him small. He has also given a suit to his wife that makes her big and makes her small. She is the Wasp. Uh, they are tasked with disarming this nuclear warhead that is flying towards the United States. And the way that this is accomplished is Michelle Pfeiffer as the Wasp, Hank Pym's wife. Yeah. Uh, her, her name within the world is Janet Van Dyne, which explains why Hope's last name is different than Michael Douglas's last oh, name. What do you know? She took her mom's name. Yeah, that, that makes because sense. Because they were estranged. She and her dad. Yeah. Complicated family in this. A it's lot basically going on. Tolstoy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's Tolstoy with the added wrinkle that you can go subatomic. <laughs> uh, if only he had thought of that. So going subatomic is something you can do in these suits because they allow you to become big and small. Uh if you become basically infinitely small, you go subatomic and you're smaller than the atoms that hold our world together. And if you do that, you're apparently able to disarm a nuke. I think that the, in the process of going subatomic, she is able to break through and like destroy the something. She's able to fuse the atom back together. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she splits it. She puts it back the, together. The science of these movies, this is dumb and I don't like this about myself, but I'm irritated by the lack of sense in this. Oh, I'm fine with it. I have movies. no problem with that. She goes subatomic. Yeah. What I love is the way that everybody says like she went subatomic as yeah. though it is like. I don't know. It's just, it's as though they're telling each other that they got cancer, which kind yeah. of makes sense. Well, it's a pre-existing condition. <laughs> it wasn't covered in the 80s. Yeah, no. um, so yeah, she goes subatomic and she disarms this nuke. We, at the beginning of Ant-Man 2, uh, realize that the person in that suit who went subatomic is Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. She's married to Michael Douglas and we see her and Michael Douglas saying goodbye to their daughter. Before they go on this mission. To go disarm the nuke. To go disarm the nuke. Yeah. Uh, and we, then we see her again disarm the nuke. And then we see, I think Michael Douglas comes back and has to, and like, he just looks at his daughter and she, in true movie fashion, into intuits that her mother has gone subatomic. <laughs> when you have to have that subatomic talk with your child after your spouse has gone subatomic. After they've seen something they shouldn't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we are immediately reminded of that situation as we go into this. And we also think, well, we're probably going to get a new wasp. Yeah. It's also, and you're also thinking like, man, it has been a while since I've seen Michelle Pfeiffer in anything. That's true. Yeah. She doesn't work a whole lot anymore. It's good that she picks her project wisely. Yeah. Uh, like Ant-Man 2, <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, okay. Michelle Pfeiffer is back, baby. Yeah. And that's it. So we see that in the past. Then we get to the present day where we see Michael Douglas um, as Hank Pym and uh, his daughter, Hope are having a conversation and he believes that he has found a way to get um to get Janet back by building a subatomic tu- a quantum tunnel. He's built a tunnel that will allow him to James Cameron himself in a tiny submarine yes. into the subatomic layer in a submarine? It's like a weird yeah, it's it's like an inner space ship. Now, it's important to remember that at the end of Ant-Man 1, uh Paul Rudd our hero, whose name is Scott Lang. Scott Lang. Old Lang. Uh, 
Uh, it's not even funny. <laughs> old, old, old Lang Scott. Old Lang. Old Lang Scott went subatomic. Yeah. And he returned from the subatomic realm, uh, I guess because he's like way better at it than Michelle Pfeiffer. I think that, yeah, he just like figured out how to juice it somehow. Yeah. He's an idiot, so it like, he's not <laughs> enough of an idiot. So he's not, I don't think he even knows how he did it, but he's able to come back. But we know that he was able to come back. And so now they think like, what if she is down there somewhere still and we can get her back? We built this, this tunnel. We just need to figure out how to like finish, put the finishing touches on the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. We were right on the edge yeah. conveniently of finishing this tunnel. Uh, meanwhile. Yes. Uh, we, uh, just to recap what Ant-Man has been up to. So we all remember that Ant-Man joined up with Captain America after the Sokovia Accords and in Berlin fought the, um, the, the Tony and the others like during that He was part of the civil war. So why did he join up with Cap? I don't recall. Like what was in it for him? Was he just starstruck? I think, I mean, definitely he played it a bit starstruck. I forget what the situation, like there was something where somebody said like, I know a guy and they got him. I don't remember what the circumstances were. Yeah. Fair enough. At the time, it made sense. Yeah, we, we went with it. But there, there were so many characters that it was hard to keep track of anybody's motivations. Yep. Uh, but that's okay, because that's a good movie. So, uh, so anyway, Scott Lang has been uh, punished in the over the past two years by having to uh, be stuck at home. Uh, under, he's under house, house arrest. arrest. House arrest, yeah. He's got a little beeper on his ankle, which we learn because he is playing with his daughter, and he like steps outside of the boundaries of the his home the beeper goes off and he is visited by fbi agents yeah uh randall park is in this yes. movie there's something about this movie that we don't we, we'll talk about it later but i like randall park yeah he's great in this movie in a way that i don't like paul rudd in this movie yes. whereas i think that they are both getting thankless roles and i can't figure out why randall park makes it work for me and it do, and paul rudd doesn't we can talk about that yeah. but he is Randall Park is very good in this movie. He is the FBI agent. He is clearly good at his job, but is sort of socially maladjusted in a delightful way. Yeah. He shows up, and of course, he's like, oh, wait, Scott actually isn't trying to break out. You know what I mean? He's just under house arrest. Yeah. And there is a delightful recurring joke, which I really do like, where Paul Rudd reveals that he's been studying close-up magic while under house arrest. I forgot all about that. I almost just said, well, in quarantine. <laughs> Which is kind of uh, what it feels because like. literally this happened, and I was like, I should be studying close-up magic. Um, which is the joke because throughout the movie, people who see him do tricks go like all dudes, which is hilarious. All go, how'd you do that? Uh, and are obviously delighted by close-up magic because everybody loves close-up magic. That's true. It's very impressive. Um, so yeah, he's still under house arrest. He's obeying he, he, things. He seems like he is adhering to the letter of the law he seems to be adhering to the letter of the law he is also working with uh, his buddy michael pena they've formed a security consulting company called x dash con because they are all x convicts took me a real long time to figure that out so which is funny it's a funny gag yeah except that they also articulate that they know it's hard to get a job as x convicts yeah so i get like and this kind of is a recurring problem that i have with this movie where it's really funny if Paul Rudd and his friends are all dumb. Yes. But we are told that Paul Rudd is actually really smart. And a master thief. And so yeah. there's this terrible balancing act that they're kind of having to do where they need Paul Rudd to be dumb, but they also need him to be a good parent to his child and the smartest dude in the crew. And like smart enough to, to like understand 
how to be Ant-Man. Yeah. And he it's okay if he's... I feel like there's a way to write it where he can be dumb and be Ant-Man. Yes. But yeah. it, it is a little uneasy for me because like he can't be, as we like to say, a Joey. Yes. Like yeah. Joey from Friends. Joey Tribbiani. Yes. Uh, the greatest patron actor. Saint. The greatest actor of all time. <laughs> right. And Joey's hilarious, right? Yeah. And they kind of want to put Paul Rudd in that position, but then he's also really competent and it's a little bit uneasy for me. It just doesn't quite click. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I just want him to be dumb. And so there are jokes where it's like he is dumb and they are dumb, like naming the whole company ex-con because obviously a smart person would talk them out of that. And it's a funny joke if they're all dumb. It's kind of weird if Paul Rudd's smart, but okay. Um, so... Okay, yeah. I'm looking at our recap because I'll admit this movie is strangely convoluted yes it is so uh, um what kind of kicks the plot into motion is that scott is at home one day just like playing drums or whatever just hanging out yeah he plays rock band drums a lot or yes. i guess it's just an electronic it's just an electronic kit. drum kit yeah where he's like listening to it uh, he's gonna blow out his ears like that but he's he's like hanging out at home one day when he has like a vision of the quantum realm yeah and uh, which is weird because he's not vision yeah he's not <laughs> He's not vision, and uh, his his abilities do not include being able to envision things. Yes, it, like the quantum realm. He has been there though. So at, at first, it's like, oh no, is he having flashbacks? And then he seems kind of confused by it. But I believe that he also maybe hears Janet talking or something. I think he does, and uh, this prompts him to call uh, Hank, Hank and him. Hope. <laughs> yeah, because they're they're estranged because they did not end on good terms because he stole a suit in order to go help Captain America. And he claims to have destroyed the original Ant-Man suit, which yeah. is why uh, Hank Pym now needs to make a tiny little submarine to go subatomic. Is it the original or is it a newer one that he destroys? He just, it's not the original, but the original is somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, because there's there's a later, we'll get to it later. There's There's, there's multiple suits. Which suit it is actually matters unfortunately sort of <laughs> kind, uh, kind of it does like within the plot of the script if you if you care yeah but um so yeah he calls hank pym and uh i believe that pym and hope then immediately get in touch and they essentially break him out of his house arrest yeah so hope like shows up they break him out of house arrest i forget exactly how that transpires well they they, they bring a giant ant with them who yes. has been trained to just follow his like daily movement patterns. So they, they just clip this, the ankle bracelet to his giant aunt who is just going to go around and do whatever Paul Rudd was doing every in day. In his house every day. Yeah. And we know that that's basically nothing. Uh, and you know, an aunt's not going to be good at close up magic. Let's be real. Uh, very good at the drums though. More limbs. They, they have a lot of, yeah, that makes me think that they'd be excellent at close up magic. Hmm. I guess lots of options for misdirection. And there yes. are a lot of good little jokes in here about misdirection as we move through. I, yeah. Um, again. Like the misdirection of this movie might be okay. I actually but. like this movie, so you can shut up. <laughs> um, no. I, I, I actually do like this movie. I think this movie could be better. It has a lot of things that I enjoy, one of which is like the close-up magic kind of running gag. Yeah. I enjoy also seeing this enormous ant because, again, they can make things big and small. That includes ants. So this ant that they have acting as Paul Rudd is a human-sized ant. Yeah. <laughs> Worth I, noting. There's there's a lot of big ants in this. Yeah. I think that... Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk more about so, how we actually feel about the movie as we go along. When they break him out, uh, Hope picks him up in a car... They get in the car, the car becomes small, and then they continue to drive on the roads Yes, needlessly in this tiny car. They could obviously just drive the car. 
it's just an option, like an opportunity for them to show us that they can make cars big and small. And I honestly just find it kind of weird that they're doing it in this case. Either way, it looks good though. It's just, it's just an opportunity to have like an effect shot. Yeah, but it's in this case, it's just kind of needless. Anyways, there's a lot of that. In this that doesn't movie. matter. I kind of like a lot of it. Whatever. Just not that. They yeah. Um, <laughs> they I, go to the lab, but they're bringing they're bringing him in specifically because they think that he might have somehow entangled himself quantum entangled himself with janet when he was in the quantum Indeed. realm i imagine the quantum realm is well, relatively large but somehow they must have found each other i mean the quantum realm is probably quite small but you're infinitely small in it bro yeah you're if you're are if you are your relative if <laughs> relatively you are the same size i imagine that like it is as large as everything else whoa Ugh. whoa um in any case uh, that's why they want to bring him in. So they bring him in and like uh, show him like how they're working on this this thing. This, so like, they take tunnel, him to the tunnel, quantum tunnel, and it's in this office, uh, nondescript office building. The entire inside of this building is hollow because it holds this huge tunnel. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I did not understand. And that. delightfully, everything that is being used to build the tunnel is actually small stuff yeah. that they have made huge. So like they're walking around on giant Lego bricks. There's like the knob from a Fender Stratocaster on the wall. Everything's being powered by a Duracell battery. That's the size of a house. Yeah. Uh, I love all of that. Great. 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 You look unmoved. It's, it's fine. I don't know. What's don't not, re- what's not fun about that? I just, I, I just doesn't do it for me. That's all. It's just like, I, I, you, you hate honey. I shrunk the kids. I've seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. You just think it's trash. I just, I, I find it like, I. the thing about this movie is that its jokes are so constant and 90% of them I find very irritating and grating. And so like a lot of this, I think I would like if they either didn't try the cho- the shotgun approach to, to joke, joking, mm. like, or if the jokes were funnier. I feel that most of the jokes for me actually land. The thing they are terrible at is sticking the landing after a chain of jokes. So they'll like be building a series of jokes in a scene and they're funny. Mm-hmm. And then the last part of it is always somebody being like, you're a butt face or something like that. It always kind of lands it, on this very like even Stevens level of humor. That, it's, it's like a kid's movie. Yeah. It of. just feels weird. And this, this is like, that's what like Paul Rudd feels as though he is the way that like a, like adult actual adult actors act in like bad kids movies that don't even get made anymore but like the kids movies that we grew up with jungle to jungle exactly where it is just like <laughs> this flat affect like i am just putting in this like i'm being as broad as i possibly yeah. can so that i am not actually an like a character yeah is how paul rudd plays everything in this and Randall Park does it to a degree too, like. Uh, but I think it works for him because he's not a main character, well, and, and he's, he's just like funny. this FBI agent. Like yeah. he's kind of he's got like a built-in affect, whereas Paul Rudd is every man, and it just makes him super bland. Yeah. Um. Oh, worth noting, and we haven't mentioned it. Paul Rudd's daughter is a key part of this whole thing, right? He's been playing with his daughter during house arrest. He has a good relationship with his ex-wife and a great relationship with his ex-wife's new husband. It's that that is a, that is a cute joke. Oh, it's recurs. so funny, yeah. and it's so funny because like I do. Not like the shit with the daughter. I find that I find, I that, find the like, stuff with the daughter cloying. totally cloying. Yeah, but I find inc- all this stuff with the daughter's dad, like new stepfather. Oh, fantastic! Amazing. Yeah, I wish there were more. Of there that. needs to be more. There of needs that. to be a ton of because in the first movie we will recall he hates Paul Rudd because Paul Rudd is an ex-con and he's a cop. Yeah, and uh, and so like his love of Paul Rudd and Paul Rudd's like it's, return. It's really funny. Yeah, and it should be explored more because it's so ripe for comedy. It, it's it's potentially good. It's funny and it's very sweet without being cloying. Yes, because it is not because it is not used as a plot device in part. Definitely. Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, okay, they're working on this tunnel. They show Paul Rudd the tunnel, but they're like, we need one last piece in order to complete this tunnel. And Paul Rudd's yeah. like, where are you going to get that piece? And they're like, well, we have a meeting with a black market dealer. <laughs> black market arms dealer. Arms dealer, who also is a restaurateur, <laughs> let us not forget. Well, everybody needs a front. Yeah, that's true. But he seems very into his restaurant. Well, you would be. That's true. I, yeah, I guess that's are a you, good point. Like, honestly, if, I, if, I were, if I were laundering money through... Um, I, like a coin-op laundry place, I would probably be really into my coin-op laundry. If you're telling me that Tony Soprano doesn't care about the quality of the experience that people have at Bada Bing, <laughs> I'm not going to hear it. The man is committed to quality. That, I was always so upset by any scene set in that strip club. <laughs> it is so dark and dank. and like It, it looks, looks like a strip club. It, you're it describing like, a strip club. It looks like a basement somewhere. It is a strip club. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know. It definitely looks like a New Jersey strip club. What are you club. <laughs> expecting from your strip clubs? I don't know. I really only been to strip clubs in like Las Vegas where I think that they, they go out of their way. There's velvet everywhere. It is, oh, it is not the less sign tacky. of class. I am not velvet. Saying, I'm not saying it's classier, but it definitely feels less like, like there's a boiler just like in the center of all of this, like... And like a washing machine off to one side. Of course there side. is. It's a coin-op laundry and <laughs> strip club. club. The, the things vibrate. It's good for everybody. Like, yeah. Okay. You clean everything immediately. <laughs> 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 it's not oh, just the money. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything needs to be laundered. You just, you just are able to launder your clothes before you leave. <laughs> Tony Soprano doesn't care about whether or not people know that he was at a strip club. Tony Soprano wears that musk of strip club with uh, like a badge of honor. Anyways, we are off the rails. Yeah. Uh, But man, can you imagine if this movie just had James Gandolfini in it? I I miss him being in movies in general. Honestly, I hadn't thought of it until right now, but he definitely would have been in the Marvel movies in some role. Oh, 100%. He's like exactly the level of actor who would have been in these movies. Yeah. And man, he would have been fucking great. He um did you ever see Crimson Tide? Yeah. That's a fantastic movie. That's a great movie. He worked with Tony Scott a lot, actually. Uh who also worked a lot with Denzel, one of our We love Denzel faves. Washington. Man, there's a Denzel movie that I was just thinking about the other day and I just want to watch it. Which one? Uh oh, Tel- Taking a Pelham One Two Three. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've never seen it. It's okay. I mean, I don't expect it to be good, but like the idea of like a hostage situation on a train and you got Denzel as a negotiator, that's, that's it. all I want. Well and and it gives uh John Travolta, Johnny yes. T. Yeah, yeah, JT, JT, <laughs> as I call him. It gives John Travolta a lot of scenery to chew. Even <laughs> though he's trapped in a train car, yeah. he obliterates that thing. Oh, I, I, mean, I imagine it'd be I great. I think he has a goatee. It is he aggressive. Does. He does, and I think he wears wraparound sunglasses he does. despite, oh, he being, despite being underground. I think he takes them off because he's frustrated that he's not getting what he wants well, on the phone. Well, he's got to do something, yeah. so he's got he's he's to wear those in order to take act. them off. He's got to act. Yeah. Um, also, it's just the fact that Denzel, I think that like in the original taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, like in the book and the original film, I think that like it's a cop, the character, the Denzel character is a cop, but he's just a train, like a an, an MTA worker or whatever. I think that is true. Yeah. Or like a New York City subway, wherever it takes place. Yeah. It's been a is, long time. Which since is like a great role for Denzel. I feel like he can just like, there's a lot there that he can kind of like unpack as opposed to just being, he's already been the best. Like not the I best mean, cop, they, but the best. They cast him as cops yeah. a lot. They do, but like this is that's why this is great. It's yeah. a great role for him. Anyways, Denzel Washington. I'm gonna watch that later. Legitimately, like treasure of our time. You gonna watch it without me? No, I'll wait for you. Thanks, man. Well, who would Denzel be in in the uh, Marvel universe though? I mean, he's too good for it. He's making. He's not fences. too good for it. There are a lot he of people who. Are, there are a lot of people in these movies that you would say are too good for these movies, and then like they're clearly committed. Are there? I think so. Like who? 
Yeah. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> so anyway, they meet up with this uh, black arms dealer at his restaurant. The black arms dealer is played by, by uh, Walton Goggins, who people love, but I've never seen Justified, so I don't fully understand like why people love him I've so seen much. Justified. I like that show. No, I haven't seen that show. I was thinking of uh, the other one where they swear in the Old West. Oh, Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah, other Timothy Oliphant. Man, yeah. Timothy Oliphant's yeah. great, too. That oh, guy yeah. Is, have you ever seen... <laughs> really off track. Have you ever seen that show that he did, Santa Clarita, Di- Clarita Diet, with Drew Barrymore? I'm not going to watch that show. He has the most off... Like, his comedic timing is so off, but it is off in, the, like, the most charming way. Whoa. But he is kind of... He is kind of bad but it only doubles down on how funny he actually must be as a human being because he just he's just incredible his charm is just like off the charts yeah, in that I, show. oh i agree with that yeah. i mean like he rocks a mustache like few people have ever seen it's true okay uh so we're in a restaurant yeah with walton goggins and hope meets up with walton goggins and they she's going to get the device that they need in order to complete their uh quantum tunnel She's like, we got to get this piece. And he's like, you think I'm going to give you this piece, little lady? You're crazy. Yeah. Or something like that. And she's like, oh, no, I just realized that I showed up here and this deal's gone bad. Yeah. Meanwhile, Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas, um, Scott Lang and Hank Pym are out in the car, like listening to this whole conversation. Yeah, yeah. Like on their, yeah, doing a stakeout. But he seems to he knows who she is and so he's like i want pim technologies like i can sell this stuff on the black market Wal- so you're walton gonna goggins walter goggins walton walton goggins sunny birch sunny birch restaurateur cr- criminal yeah. let's just call him sunny birch sunny birch yeah sunny birch is like i want all of hank pim's stuff yeah i want to sell it on the black market and make a bunch of money yeah so he refuses to part with the um with the item whatever the piece of technology is so Hope is like, she's just like, I'm not going to deal with this. So she gets into her wasp outfit. Form. <laughs> wasp form. <laughs> and she turns into a wasp. It's an Animorph spinoff where she's a wasp. Um, so she turns I, I into a wasp. I almost just went on another, another tangent about <laughs> Animorphs. I do not like this movie. She turns in. She turns into her wasp form. Uh, true enough. And then she starts like fighting the uh, the guys in here. And she's like punching them, and she's gonna get the part, and blah blah blah. Yeah, she's she's kicking ass. And then all of a sudden, this crazy looking like futuristic super soldier in a hood from Destiny yes. shows up. Oh, it is a hundred percent a Destiny. Oh, outfit. it is a Destiny character. Yeah, shows up like, and they're they're doing some weird filmic trick where she's like kind of phasing in and out of she's, reality she like shimmers around yeah. and like hope can sometimes like touch her and sometimes her arm goes like right through her yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. so uh scott is like oh shit i gotta get in there and help so he puts on the ant-man suit Ant-Man he didn't suit. destroy the suit he no 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 not yet he has a <laughs> he has an older ant-man suit that he puts on that Pim, that gives, Pim him. gives him okay and he goes in because this is going to become important later um so Pim gives him an older Ant-Man suit and he goes in and he starts like fighting because the henchmen are like um Sonny Sonny Bono's henchmen are also fighting. Um and so he and uh and Hope get rid of the henchmen, but meanwhile this like phasing I think that they call her what do they call do they call her like some she has some name. But this phasing lady The Destiny character. The Destiny character um gets into the van with Pim and she uh like threatens him and ends up taking the uh the lab, which he has shrunk down oh, to the size of a suitcase. It's worth is, noting, yeah. yes, that they turn the building that the portal that they're building to go into the quantum realm, the tunnel the thing. The lab. Yeah. They take that whole building 
and you realize why everything in it is a huge version of something small because they shrink it down to the size of a roller suitcase complete with the handle yeah this is a good joke and i uh, love that in this movie the MacGuffin that everybody's chasing is a literal building that they just make small and then people are moving this building around and it can get big at any time i think it is genuinely like smart and funny one of many MacGuffins in this movie but this is the prime the MacGuffin, primary MacGuffin the prim- prime yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or as we will refer to it moving forward uh, MacGuffin <laughs> prime uh uh so uh she runs away with that and pim and uh hope and scott lang don't know what to do so they give up and the movie ends no they um they decide that i think it's so i can't remember exactly whether the school comes next or whether the college comes next so to speak yeah it, it kind of doesn't matter so yeah i think that let's go with the college Okay. Um, I think that they then go to Pim, Hope, and Lang go to visit one of Pim's old partners and this like estranged friend. Like partners went back when he was Ant Man. Uh, this guy named Bill Foster, who's played by Lawrence Fishburne, because yes. Lawrence Fishburne's also in this movie. Yeah, and I would say that he is like he's good. He's good. He's above not this. nearly on par with Denzel. I know that, but yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> Denzel Washington is like Meryl Streep. Like, oh, I agree. Yeah. I, like Denzel Washington is like number one with a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> like if you, it's like who is good at acting? I go Denzel Washington. I love I love Lawrence Fishburne, but like yeah. he is a hundred percent on par to do this movie. Damn. <laughs> I think he could have been even one of the better ones, frankly. <laughs> okay. Anyways. So Robert Redford was in one of these. And I'd say that he's up there, but he's also older in a way that like, he's just like, he's probably got to pay medical bills. Like I'm sure that his, <laughs> Jeez, dude. I'm sure that his like, this is a dark his, month, his weekly meds are probably really expensive. Oh my God. Whatever the Hollywood people, I mean, his hair, he, his hair hasn't even gone gray. And I he's mean, like 85. His face is... <laughs> craggy catchers he looks like olmec (laughs) from legends of the hidden temple (laughs) Um, anyway anyway so lawrence fishburne is a professor at this college there's this scene where they walk in on lawrence fishburne lecturing his students and this is something that happens in movies all the time has never happened in real life (laughs) lawrence fishburne sees his old partner up in up in the the rafters of of the lecture hall and he goes and i think we're going to end early today class (laughs) (laughs) He was like, ah, 10 minutes shaved off of that. <laughs> uh, in any case. Um, so they gather with Lawrence Fishburne in his office and they uh, they talk about uh, various things, like uh, like about their about the beef that he and Michael Douglas have, but they are trying to figure out something science-y that Lawrence well, Fishburne can help And we with. learn that Lawrence Fishburne also used the suit and got big sometimes, and he and uh, Scott compare how big they've gotten, no subtext there. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about how like getting very large in the suit actually makes it difficult for you to take in enough oxygen, and so you pass out if you're too large. Which is super important, because that has not been mentioned in any of the other movies I don't thus think far. So. so yeah, it's actually it's, it's, um, it's good scene setting. Science setting. <laughs> Science. 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 Capital S. Uh, so at this point, he like reveals to them where the lab is somehow. He's able to no. What he does is that he is able to explain to them that there's something about the newer Ant Man suit, or that he rev- he doesn't explain it to them, but he says something that makes them realize that if they have the newer Ant Man suit, the one that Scott supposedly destroyed, they would be able to. Um, find out the location of the lab. Oh, okay. Honestly, I rewatched multiple scenes to try and understand this, and I still do not understand this. So they... they I just don't remember. They shake hands with Lawrence Fishburne, and we think, well, I guess that's the last we're going to see of that actor in this movie. Yeah, but in fact, then the FBI comes a knocking yes. on Lawrence Fishburne's 
uh, immaculate college office. Clearly, he's tenured. Uh, and uh, he's pretty old. You know, he could be yeah, working through it. That's true. Late in life professor. That's uh, yeah. I like that thought. Yeah, man. We all have an option. Yeah. A chance. A dream. <laughs> For a chance to dream. Um. um so yeah, the FBI comes. Randall Park is there. Uh, I think there's another magic joke. There's, I think they're not, maybe not at this moment, but either way, the, uh, uh, Randall Park shows up and he's like, "Why have you?" And he's like, "Have you seen Frank? <laughs> have you seen Hank Pym?" Yeah, because there was a report of Hank Pym. Because Hank and Hope and Scott, I guess, are all wearing like hats and sunglasses. They're so all like, in the lamb. Yeah. And then Lawrence Fishburne's like, "I haven't seen him," and he's like, "Why?" And he's like, "Cause I hate his guts." Act break. Yeah. It's uh, very important that they do not ask about Scott, though, because they do not know that Scott is missing. Yeah, they assume that Scott is still in his house. So this leads us to what is hands down, and this is saying a lot because I love Michael Pena's scenes, but what is hands down my favorite scene in the film that is not going to translate at all in this recap. (laughs) I encourage everyone to watch this scene, if nothing else. Um, where They realize that in order to track down the lab, they need to find... Paul, the, the suit that Paul Rudd supposedly destroyed, yes. he reveals oh, to them right, right, that he right, didn't right. actually destroy it. Michael Douglas is like, what? You didn't destroy it? And it's like, he's angry at him for not destroying it. None of it makes sense. Um, and it he's makes like, sense. He's like, no, I mailed it to myself and then I hid it. And so he hid it in the trophy that uh, his daughter then took in the very early parts. Like he like gives his daughter a trophy because they figure out it's like it's like the prize at the end of like this this like elaborate uh, elaborate game he has maze that he has constructed. And so he realizes that he she asked if she could take it with her, and he said no, and she took it with her anyway. So he no, real- no he said she could take it to show and tell. Oh, he said this. Okay, so then he said that she could take it to show and tell. So he realizes that this trophy in which is hidden the Ant Man suit, the newer Ant Man suit. Um, that will allow them to find the lab is in the school, but he only has this older Ant Man suit that is not so, like fully functional. It's a little buggy. So they go to the school, and he and the wasp go into the school, and he tries to shrink down, <laughs> and it doesn't fully work. And so he becomes like smaller than a hobbit, bigger than a small dog. <laughs> is just Paul Rudd, the size of a toddler. But still Paul Rudd, not like a toddler pod, Paul Rudd. No, just, his proportions are that of an adult man. Yeah. His size is that of a toddler. Just running around the school. And they put well, him in this oversized hoodie to disguise him, and it is a delight. It is incredible. Just constant physical comedy of the best of the best kind. Constant so, physical comedy. So funny. Like yeah. so genuinely humorous. Um so okay, at this point they're like running through the halls of the school. Paul Rudd is tiny big. Yeah, there's a music cue. There is this music cue that seems like they played it on a broken synthesizer. I'm going to try and find it so that it will be inserted here. Hey! What was that about? <laughs> when we were watching, I, it's it's awful, but it only increased my delight. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> like, so weird. And like the music is like too loud in this section. Like the mix is not. It makes right. no sense. It's really yeah, everything. Weird. Everything is off. It has like this Lynchian quality <laughs> where it is just like, what? What have I? Like, what have I escaped? Am I in the red room? <laughs> <laughs> so they find the suit. Yeah. They they get out of it. It's a great comedic situation, and then they get out of the school. Uh, and then they're like, the lab is in some house. Yeah, they realize that the lab is in some house, some haunted house from yet like another cast off kids movie from the nineties. Dang. Um, 
So they like pull up to this house. Uh, maybe my memory of this is off, but like I remember it just is like has like creaky like I think it's like in the woods. It's like in the woods there's like creaky metal doors on the yeah, outside. Yeah. Um so they go up to this house and they're just like they're like okay, it's in here somewhere and they find um that a woman in the destiny outfit has taken off the destiny outfit and she is just a human being like a young woman and um she seems to be lying down in this like chamber of some sort that seems to stabilize her her shifting her shifting and i think that they have recognized at this point that she is like quantum she has quantum instability of yeah she kind. is like phasing between different realities at yeah. all times the word quantum is put before a lot of other <laughs> it words it does a lot movie. of heavy lifting to the point that i think that there's a joke about it i there think is, that they, yeah that, that Paul they, Red they put a, a lantern on that yeah uh so <sighs> i missed this during the movie but her name is ava star <laughs> yep that's her name <laughs> ava ava star the phase shifting woman she uh, she well she she they, they try, try and get the they lab, get from the her. lab but she, she like comes out jumps and, out she's phase shifted and she captures all of them yeah she knocks them all out and ties them up uh, and that's how you know that she's a bad guy oh she's definitely because bad she ties them up. <laughs> and yeah she reveals that her dad was some other partner of Pim partner of Pim and Foster <laughs> Lawrence Fish, Fishburne Chain like the three of them were partners yeah a, re- a regular menage a trois of science and. <laughs> Uh, he, there was a terrible accident where his wife died. She didn't go subatomic. She died. Yeah. And in Ava star went to like comfort her or something and then just got zapped with the full power of the quantum realm or whatever. And now she's shifting between phases and in incredible pain all the time. Yeah. It like hurts. But so she's in, she's a quantum phasing orphan. Both her parents are dead. She's not happy about this. It's taken her a long time somehow to put, I get to put together this suit. Yeah. Um, and I think it's at this point that, uh, that Larry Fishburne walks in. Yeah. And he's like, I'm helping her out because I want to help her get stable. And the only way to do that is to take Janet that Janet Van Dyne, is Janet, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, Janet the, Van Dyne, the previous wasp who is currently in some no man's land state in the quantum realm. The only way out is to steal her quantum energy, and then that will allow them to stabilize Ava Star. Yeah, this is this goes. This everyone just agrees that this makes sense. Well, everybody agrees that it makes sense, but then they disagree about whether or not they should do it. Yes, because. Hank Pym is like that will obviously kill my wife, and we're in the audience. We're like obviously, <laughs> yeah. In the audience, she can't exist without her quantum like, energy. It's weird because like he's interpreting it as like we're gonna squeeze her like a juice box, <laughs> and Lawrence Fishburne seems to be interpreting it as like we're just gonna take a little skim a little off the top of her quantum energy, and yeah. like it's not clear why Lawrence Fishburne is confident it won't kill her, and it's not clear why Hank Pym is confident it will kill her. It's also not clear what quantum energy is. Well, there is that problem. (laughs) And this is the only, this is where the science starts to bug me, is that, like, I want to know what the quantum energy is and whether Michelle Pfeiffer can exist without it. Michelle Pfeiffer is in the quantum realm. Yeah. So that she, is, what is, I know. is quantum energy just something that she's going to like be, have her quantum meter full when she comes yeah, out? Yeah, she's juiced up like a battery. Yeah. I, actually, I think that sort of might be the case. It's anyway. Just, yeah, okay. Uh, so, so there's a they're they're like oh no 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 yes no there's a there's a joke where where Paul Rudd's daughter calls his, that's is it's not his daughter it's his wife his oh, ex wife okay calls. they call yeah and uh, I don't remember what they want to talk about but probably alimony um 
it's not that. No, it's not. Actually, because everybody gets along so yeah, well. Yeah, they have Definitely a good relationship. Um, so then, at this point, Hank Pym pretends to have a heart attack. Yes, and yes that happens. <laughs> right? Yes. Am no, I making this up? That, no, that's exactly what okay, happens. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, and then that allows them to escape? I don't remember how, but it's like he, like, they, they, he, Paul Rudd and Hope just, like, convinced them to untie Hank, and I don't remember what happens next, but somehow they somebody's get out. Somebody's shrinking, somebody's getting big, they get yeah. out, they take the roller case suitcase building to the woods and they like go make it big in the woods like they're like we're gonna go out amongst the redwoods they knock yeah. down so they start a forest fire it's it's real bad it seems like they could just make it small with all of them inside of yes, it yes this is do they, they could, do that? they could all just shrink down do and they go- do that ever no <laughs> I think um, they might actually do that at one point. I think that some that happens to somebody. Then why don't they just do it consistently? Because it's much easier well, to hide I, a tiny building. <laughs> a roller suitcase is much easier to hide than a gigantic, like, eight-story laboratory. Yeah. Or, like... Whoa. I think that, like, there's too many... Because there's another plot twist, and there's too many, like, visual jokes and visual things that Oh, it's that great that it gets big and small. Yes. And that, but I think that, like, it importantly, those all depend on it shrinking. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, so they, they do go out. They go out into the woods and they uh, blow up the lab again um, and they uh, get in the lab and they continue working on. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah. That then. So Scott all of a sudden is like inhabited by the spirit of Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Because they open the quantum tunnel for a split second for a split second. And like she is able this to cause you to gasp. It was open for a second while we were watching <laughs> did it. it really? Yeah, you did. <laughs> so maybe you like this movie more than you realized. I don't remember gasping. But that, makes, that, that sounds like me. That actually happened. I literally gasp in any movie when anybody like drops something. I'm just like, <gasps> <laughs> is it going to break? Nobody dropped anything uh, except for her persona into his body. <laughs> uh, and so she's like able to use the computer and she's like, we're going to get me out or whatever. And Paul Rudd is just doing a Michelle Pfeiffer impression throughout all of this. Honestly, this is the best he acts in the entire it is, film. It is. He, he's very good. He's very good at like not overdoing it. And like his like kind of like light hand just like his, oh, he's yeah. like, it's, his willingness to touch everybody suddenly in the way that a mother yes. would is very, is very good. Yes, I agree. She helps them. She, through Paul Rudd, helps them pinpoint her exact location. But she also warns them that they only have two hours to find her. Otherwise, something in the quantum realm will shift and it will be a century (laughs) before they align again. And like Michael Douglas does not have that kind of time. That man has survived cancer. He's like, he's. I mean, beyond that, it's very lucky that they recovered this thing right now. Oh, it's this is this is one of the stupidest plot twists. In I this mean, movie. you need that pressure. Yeah, you, you um, the two-hour timer. If only they had like gotten started a week earlier. Oh yeah. Also, throughout all of this, Scott Lang is fielding calls from Michael Pena because they need to make a pitch to a big company that will finally take their low-level security company to the next level i i love all of this stuff oh it's it very is the funny. most relatable like understandable stuff and i love the crew well yeah the crew michael pena very funny yeah my opinion on this and i think that you probably share this is that like this movie would be better if michael pena were just the ant-man well th- that's a little strong i think that they need more michael pena in the ant-man character but yes uh okay so at um, this point it's important that scott the you're right that he gets the call and he does tell michael pena yeah we're in the woods like he he relays the information because he's like I need you to come out here because I can't come to you so if I'm going to consult on this project before we have this call tomorrow, you need to come here so that he we reveals can, the location. So yes, yeah, so he reveals the location of where where the lab is. Meanwhile, we realize that actually, Sonny Birch, <laughs> the restaurateur, 
arms dealer <laughs> has broken into the XCon headquarters, XCon being Michael Pena and Steve, Scott Lang's uh, security company, and is holding all of the members of XCon hostage. Yes. Um, and they're, they proceed to give them a truth serum. Many jokes about There's this. Too many, too many, too many, too <laughs> many. It's it's I, a funny conceit, but it, it is. It's they drive that sucker into the it's, ground. It's it's actually shocking to me how many jokes there are about the truth serum and how it continues to come back. And it would be like a really good joke in a kids movie that it's almost there in this movie. There's just something about it where they push it. They it's you know what it is, and I feel like this is true of a lot of the jokes in this movie. The thought is not bad. They push it a little further than is comfortable. Mm. And then they don't overcommit to the point that it loops back around. They don't. They don't pull a too many cooks. That's it. Yeah. They, but like they, they also go too far for it to be really clean. Yeah. Uh, and I think that happens multiple times where they're like kind of like riding the wave a little too long, but then they don't actually dismount it at the exact right spot. I would agree. And so it's sort of in that middle ground where it's just like, oh, that's a whimper, not a bang. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway. So uh, yeah, Sunny Birch um, breaks into XCon like you were saying. And they administer this truth serum to Michael Pena and the others. And there's this great moment. This is my second favorite scene. Oh, fantastic. This great moment where you know it's coming because you've seen the first Ant-Man where they administer this truth serum and uh, Sonny Birch asks Michael Pena, where is Scott Lang? A simple question. A simple question. And Michael Pena does not take it literally despite the truth serum, but instead uh, like, like, figuratively decides to describe where Scott Lang is emotionally and like in free associates yes. into infinity. And there is this lengthy sequence narrated by Michael Pena. It is Michael Pena's Finnegan's wake of like, where you again get like Michael Pena narrating everything where you see the, the actors like the, like hopes, uh, uh Scott, like, et cetera, like Michael Douglas might even be in there. Everybody is like talking in Michael Pena's voice as yeah. he narrates this thing. And it is beautiful. It is. And it goes on longer than the prior ones, which I appreciate because I think, that like I mean I always prefer more shorter more but like I'm glad that they like gave him time to do oh, this. Oh, I think it really really pays off. It yeah. really works. Um. So, anyways, at the end of this, yeah, he does reveal the location of the. I think where I, Scott is. Yeah, someone definitely reveals it at that point, and so this is when we realize something that was kind of hinted at before is that Birch has a contact within the FBI. I forgot about this, but just yeah, that kind of like menacing looking blonde man that the camera focused on too many times in the Randall Park scenes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you're like, why do they keep showing that guy? Um, it's because he's bad. And it's because he's bad. He's bad. And uh, he's he's Birch's contact within the FBI. So Birch is just like tells the FBI is like gives them the location of both the lab and he informs them that Lang is not at home under house arrest. Yeah. So um, and so we as the audience are like, oh no, they're going to go to the house and discover a giant ant and yeah. not Scott Lang. So um, Michael Pena is able to. Uh, quickly call Scott after all of this and warn him. So Scott is like, says to Michael Douglas and Hope, he's like, I gotta go. I gotta go like pretend to be at home. Um, so he rushes home. His, at this exact moment, his daughter, his ex-wife and Bobby Cannavale, his new best friend. And, and his wife's and his new wife's husband. new husband are um, also going there because I think that they're, they're like concerned about him or something. I can't remember I, I don't remember the exact circumstances. But they also, they let themselves in and his daughter quickly realizes that he's not there. Yeah. And that's just when the FBI shows up. So his daughter is able to like hold off Randall Park. Stalls for him. Stalls for him. 
and uh by making but like by telling him that her dad is sick and puking upstairs and randall park does not like it when people puke this is so kids movie. It is the most, and this is like it. De- it like devolves into this, especially when Randall Park is around. Yeah. In a way that, like, as long as Randall Park is there, I'm fine with it. But the second that Paul Rudd gets in on the kids movie stuff, I'm just shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just we. It's just like kind of soft. Yeah, it's not funny enough. Um, uh, but Paul Rudd does like get back into uh, the bathroom. Like we get one of those scenes where, of course, like he opens the door. He's in his bathroom and he's just like, oh, I feel so sick. And Randall Park's like, oh, OK, you are here. I guess I disturbed you in your yes. moment of illness. And he's, he, yeah. And everything is fine, except for the fact that we now have like one hour to save Michelle Pfeiffer. We better get into the quantum realm. Yeah. Um, the issue is, is that Pim and Hope are like, OK, we have everything set up, but we need to leave the lab for some reason. I can't remember why. But they exit the lab. I don't know. They exit the lab, and there is this shot that you understand why they can't make the lab small, because they need this shot, where the lab shrinks, and they shrink the lab, and you realize that they're surrounded by the FBI. Yeah, so like the, the FBI was on the other side of the lab yeah. that they shrink. It's a good shot. Yeah, it is. Like, I understand why they did that. Good. Um, so they are taken into custody. The lab is taken into custody, but... Ava shows up. Um, Ava, I can't remember her last Star. name. Star. Ava Star. How Ava Star, the phase shifter, Ringo's daughter. <laughs> uh, Ava Star shows up and also just like such a like like late 80s, early 90s porn name. Um, that demonstrates a real knowledge of the history of pornography that I appreciate. I feel like there's a famous star somewhere in, in like the history of pornography. Hmm, famous to devotees. Yeah. Ava Star shows up. And she like knocks out a couple FBI agents and she steals the lab because she still needs to to take Michelle Pfeiffer's quantum energy. Yeah, she so wants she, that so, quantum juice. So just to let us know where the MacGuffins are. Um Scott is at home, but he's got his suit. Uh um Pim and Hope are going to prison. They don't have suits. And Ava has her her destiny costume cosplay, and then also she has the uh, roller backpack uh lab. Indeed. So, Lang gets out of house arrest again. It's not that difficult. He's done it before. Well, he and the aunt is still there for him to yes. to tie the thing to. Um, so Lang escapes house uh, from the house arrest. Um, he breaks Pim and Hope out of jail, which is a nice mirror of the first Ant Man, where Pim breaks Lang oh, out of that's jail. Fun, yeah. Um, but I don't remember how he breaks them out. Does he give them suits? Uh, like sends ants in to like get them out or something. I honestly don't really remember. There's something with ants. And yeah, they fly in. This is honestly where um, it gets really mushy for me. What happens? Very here. mushy. Like it increasingly is going to. So um, he breaks them out. They uh, they are able to track down the lab which Ava has, and well, Lang and Hope are fighting as Ant Man and the Wasp are fighting Ava. Pim is able to retrieve the lab and get inside of it. And I believe it's small at this point. So I think he it does small. go small. And it, he, he is small. small. He is within the small lab. And he gets so into the MacGuffin the s- is moving now. <laughs> and he, yeah, he gets into the submarine and he like rides the submarine through the quantum tunnel. But then he, yeah, he gets into the quantum realm. He is in the quantum realm. Yeah. And meanwhile, Burke comes in. Burke being the restaurateur or arms Birch. dealer. Birch. Sonny, Sonny, the restauranter arms dealer, steals the lab wholesale, the entire building, as a small suitcase-sized building, and flees to a boat in the San Francisco Harbor. There's there's like there's like 15 minutes of car chases here that Michael Pena gets involved in too. Yeah, and they're kind of fun because there's this running gag where 
they have a Hot Wheels like the circular container for all your yeah, Hot like Wheels the cars. Suitcase, the the kids' so suitcase. cool. It's very funny. All yeah, the cars like in it. it are actual cars that they then make big, which is awesome. So fun. Michael Pena is is just the glee, which is like what is missing from Scott Lang Agreed. is the glee. Yes, he it doesn't seem he like does, he's ever actually having fun. It seems yes. like he's pretending to have fun Where in is this Michael, really dour way that I yes. don't like. Michael Pena's like excitement over getting to pick a Hot Wheels car yes. that he makes big is something that I am a hundred percent on board with. I understand it, and it makes me like him so much. Agreed, more. agreed. Um, um, even if Scott Lang were just like that's a Fender, whatever, like yeah, or so he needs like, char- he needs character. He's he, just bland. Yeah, he, they're just like they're like he drums on this like electronic drum. You know, machine, and like and the fact all. about it is that like so the drumming thing, it's like I n- get the license for it to be a Rush song. And just be a yes. callback to I love you, man. And make me just go like, oh, it's just his character from I love you, man, or yes. something. Or like, I just need something where it's like, this is a person. He just, he likes, he loves his daughter and that's his character. Yeah. It, and it's just and like, he's who, who wisecracking. It's like, it's like, you know, 98% of dads love their daughters. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's higher than that. I don't know. <laughs> Love is complicated. Do we have the science on that? Yeah. Um, science, capital S. Okay. So at this point, there's this huge chase, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Ant-Man gets big. So, yeah, the the building is now in the possession of the restaurateur arms dealer on this boat in the San Francisco Harbor. Yeah. Ant-Man, like, rides a truck like a scooter down to San Francisco Harbor, and he starts, like, wading through the water as this ferry is going out. As giant Ant-Man. As giant Ant-Man, yeah. He's, like, he's giant Ant-Man now, so he is just, like, wading out there. Um, And he's clearly getting tired, but he does get the suitcase back. Uh, Birch drowns at the bottom of San Francisco Bay. Yeah, do we know what happens to him? Uh, Five fathoms. <laughs> Whatever that is. What? My father lies. What does happen to that guy? I don't remember. Dude. I don't think that the movie cares either. I think so. They probably um, The ex-cons it. take out his buddies. I know that his henchmen are taken out by the ex-cons. Nice. Uh, uh, David Dalmatian and uh, T.I. take out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, so in any case, Scott passes out in the harbor yes. because he runs out of oxygen because he's big Ant-Man. He's oxygen star. So he, yeah, he like, but he passes out like in the water, right? Yeah. He almost drowns. Yeah. Um, hope saves him by shrinking him and then being able to carry him out or I something. I think that's what it is. Um, I think that they're also, in, wait, wait, are they in love? They're, they definitely refer to the idea that they had like slept together previously do they refer to that they do there is some there is some comment that like where he refers to like they're having like had a period where they were doing it um and it the went the fact that you call it doing it lets me know you're ready i <laughs> it is it is very confusing to me whether they're <laughs> actually supposed to be in love or not yeah i would understand this better if my parents had talked with me about the subatomic realm <laughs> uh <laughs> so at this point though they've got the building uh yeah they've got the building back michael, michael douglas, douglas is in the quantum realm being no, reunited. Well, no, no, no they don't have the building back they don't um ava gets the building <sighs> oh yeah ava she gets takes the building, the building. ava so, star so yeah ava star gets the building while hope is resuscitating uh is resuscitating lang so um meanwhile michael douglas is in the quantum realm and yeah. he has found michelle pfeiffer yeah who it's aged. She she's barely aged at all. She looks beautiful. She looks beautiful. Like Michelle Pfeiffer as a human being. Also <laughs> within the, the it makes sense within the narrative. Um, yeah. I literally like, at the beginning was like, are they de aging her for this? You but got no, a, you got just, a, you got a crush. I think that Michelle Pfeiffer has aged really well. Yeah, she has. Yeah. Um. 
man, I have another tangent there, but I keep it in, keep it in line, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I need to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> I was working at this um, this theater program in New York City for an internship once, and I feel was, like you are Michael Pena right now. <laughs> There is this, uh, there's a group of like, of like boomer guys that I was working with who run this theater program. You're talking way too fast. <laughs> it has all of these connections to uh, famous people like Francis McDormand and okay. uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was one of them. Uh, this is the time that I met Peter Dinklage and slept on Francis McDormand's couch. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was one of them. And we were in this group and we were just like working on these scripts for the kids because it was a youth theater group yeah. in Hell's Kitchen. And um, someone was talking about how like Michelle Pfeiffer used to be like a big supporter of theirs and everything. But then she had this like really messy divorce with this guy who was not an actor. Hank but Pym. <laughs> it was not Hank Pym, which is really confusing. Yeah. Um, but she had had this divorce and uh, it was just like some dude apparently. And they were just like, yeah, he just cheated on her. And all of the men in the room just like shook their heads in <laughs> <laughs> as though this was a war crime. <laughs> like they're just, he's just like, we don't understand it. There aren't even words to describe how I feel. <laughs> it was, it was incredible just watching this. Um, and I, I do think that someone at some point was just like, just what an incredible woman. <laughs> and I, I was like, I like what lies beneath. It's a good movie. <laughs> um, in any case, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, perfectly preserved. In Ant-Man and the Wasp, she has been in the quantum realm. He recovers her from the quantum realm. They do manage to return from the quantum realm. And once they get back, Ava tries to steal the quantum energy from Janet, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, because they, because they are coming back and they expect Scott and Hope to be there, but it's Ava um scott and hope meanwhile like rush back they i think this the building is just like blown up to normal proportions yeah, just in, in the, the middle of the in street. the middle of the street yeah, like down happens. by the harbor um they rush in but ava is already stealing michelle pfeiffer's quantum energy but then like something happens where michelle pfeiffer is like no i freely give it to you yeah and she like hugs her or something it's it's a very mom move <laughs> classic mom move uh where yeah she does she like willingly gives it over Lawrence fishburne is suddenly there as well I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I think he was in a car chase somewhere. Yeah, I think he was also in a car. There were a lot of cars. A lot of cars. Um, And at this point, like, everything is kind of resolved. Yeah, it all, like, goes okay. Ava is stabilized, but, like, temporarily. Yes, it's not permanent. But, but they're she, able to stabilize they're her They're able to stabilize her, way. and she's not in pain for the time being. Yeah. and But they will have to find another solution, which becomes important. Yes, and so everybody's like, we did it. The Ant-Man rides anew. Yeah. And then there is some tag. That Paul, Paul Rudd is able to get home just in time. That yeah, like Randall yeah. Park is like, well, you did it two years and you didn't leave at all. Yeah. And so they like take the ankle bracelet off the ankle and now he's free off. to Ant-Man. Yeah. Um, and then according to Wikipedia, there is, there's like this one line of just like, Ava and Foster go into hiding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't remember that scene, but I guess it's implied. That Ava they're... and Foster go into hiding. <laughs> so at this point we have finished Ant-Man. Yes. We will talk about the post credit sequence in a moment, <laughs> which is quite good. But Matt, what did you think about this movie? I don't think it's as bad. I think that this is a better movie than the original Ant-Man. Definitely. I think that this movie is such a mess and I feel so unforgiving of so much of it that like I, I part of this is my own stubbornness, I believe without a doubt, but I did not enjoy watching this movie. And to be honest with you, uh, working through the recap made me like it 
even less because I found it so frustrating to have to like write up a recap and trying to remember what happened in this movie because so much of the writing is like based around like the idea that in order to find the lab, they need a specific suit that they have to go talk to Lawrence Fishburne about first. Like it's just, it's, it's constantly like shifting. It's like what the current goal is in a way that is, and I don't care about any of the goals. It's like you give me, one MacGuffin that I don't care about. That's fine. That's the point of a MacGuffin is that you're not actually invested in the MacGuffin. It's just the excuse for them to be yeah, it's moving. moving you along. But like this movie, like keeps shifting what the MacGuffin is, mm-hmm. and it's like keeping track of who has the roller suitcase um, lab is kind of irritating and exhausting. And like it just like this movie grates my goodwill considerably. <laughs> and I I just like and Paul Rudd. I think that like the disappointment of Paul Rudd is something that I have a lot of trouble getting past. I get that. So I, I wanted to say for the record, I actually kind of like this movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think that this movie is bad in the way that the first Ant-Man is because I think that there are a lot better jokes in this movie. You do have to admit though, that this movie was terribly edited as we oh, noticed. I think this movie is very poorly edited. Yes, there's is, a lot of shots in this movie. Shots. Yes. That feel like, like, well, we didn't pick, we didn't do pickups that day. And yeah, here we are. So we're just going to cut away from that. Like There's, there is one shot where somebody is like going to walk somewhere and then they cut and they like kind of warp there. It's really it's, awkward. It's all very strange and it's very disorienting. And it's clear that this is the same director that did the like one costume for multiple days sequence like yeah. in the prior there, film. There's just some parts of it that are sloppy. That said, yeah. there's a lot of it that I think is actually kind of good, which is like the very effects heavy stuff oftentimes plays really well. I'm, I really like, I always enjoy like, I'm seeing the world, but I'm tiny or I'm really big. And like the, the playing with scale like that, I'm a person who paints miniature models. Obviously things being tiny is delightful to me. And so this movie, I feel like leans into that better than the first one even. Cause like the best parts of the I first agree. one were like that end action sequence with the train and stuff. And this one has a lot of stuff like that. Do you think it has anything that lives up to the train sequence though? This is what I was thinking about, because I agree. I think that overall, the effects in this movie, I think, are very strong. They're very good, and I think that they're generally very well staged. Like, they yeah, use the smartly, scale effectively. Yeah, yeah. And I think much more, like, in the first one, it is much more like, Paul Rudd is just small, so he's going to run around some rats in the air vent or well, something. Well, I feel like in the first one, there are just two sequences where they really, you feel like they spent all their money on these two sequences, and the one that starts in the bathtub when he first gets small, yeah. and he's running around, and then there's the one at the end. And those are like, there's other sequences, like don't get me wrong, but those two are the ones where it feels like they go all in. This movie, it feels much more evenly paced throughout it, where it's just a fact of life that they can get big and small and they're going to do that in all different kinds of ways, both like super heroic and totally mundane. They're using it. And so I just kind of like that more. I totally agree. I wish they had used it more in the action set pieces because, again, the Thomas the Tank Engine yeah, so sequence cool. is is fantastic. So awesome. Um, from the first one. We're from saying. the first one, yeah. yes. And I feel like there's nothing in this one that quite lives up to it. But I, I do agree that overall they are much more creative and I think the effects are just... I, I thought the effects were very good in this movie. Yeah, this is... the All of the action stuff I think is a lot of fun. Yeah. I really like the Destiny-esque design of the Ava Star yeah. character. I know you don't like it. I think that like a lot of it, I don't like the Ant Man or Wasps either. It all feels very Power Rangers to me it is in very a way Power that yeah, like I actually I like Ava's design more than I like either of theirs. Yeah, well, and she definitely feels like it's all like matte finish 
yeah. which is kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like we don't see that in the Marvel movies. But very comic booky. Yeah, it feels totally. extra comic booky. Extremely. Yeah, in that sense, that it looks like a comic book. A little family. bulbous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so okay, I I like all of that. I don't think it's like a great movie, and I think that, and this is what we need to talk about because of Paul Rudd. You mean not a great Marvel movie? specifically like obviously there is no way that this is a great movie in the scope well of, like, no but i mean movies, like i think yeah. that like when we talk about when we talk about all these movies i'm generally not talking about them just as marvel movies mm-hmm. you know though i think that it's like important like civil war i think is just a great movie but it's weird because like it's it is only a great movie in the context of the marvel movies because you need to have seen the have other seen movies for it yeah. to be as good as it is but i do think that if you have taken the prerequisite courses it is just a fundamentally great movie um, so that's kind of a weird thing, but I whatever. Agree. Yeah. So I don't think this is a great movie, and I think the problem is that Paul Rudd is, and we keep kind of circling around this, but he's just sort of like, they're not using Paul Rudd. Like, he's not able to either be lovable enough or dickish enough or dumb enough or smart enough. He is so middle of the road, and I think that they think that that makes him a straight man, yeah. but instead it just means that he's like, you know when you throw a racquetball and it or a uh, squash ball rather and it's kind of like not actually bouncy and so it kind of like hits and sticks and falls I feel like a good straight person like bounces like somebody yeah. hits them with a joke and it like ricochets off even though they didn't tell a joke whereas I feel like Paul Rudd like a Chandler yeah everything just kind of slaps against him like a fish and falls to the ground yeah. and he's oftentimes trying to tell a joke too but it just never punches. It also feels like no one in the world finds him funny yes. or interesting in a way. That yes. like, so it's just like it increases your animosity where you're just like, they seem to be like, please stop telling jokes. And you're like, please stop telling jokes. That's totally it. I just find him kind of tiresome. I think that they, I think that like when you think of every man, Paul Rudd is definitely one of those actors that comes to mind. Totally. And yeah, I and you said that earlier that he's playing this kind of every man. Like you said, he's, he's, he's the straight man in this. But like he doesn't, it's like an everyman character is not actually a good character unless if you make them kind of more engaging or more interesting than that. They have to have interest. They have to have like things that they... I think your rush point was really good. He's not elevating the material. Yeah. No, he's not. And like the script is not giving him anything to do, but clearly we know that he helped write the script, so he is not elevating well, the material in any way. And you know, you think about something like, I don't know, like straight... Characters that we think of as like the straight person in the in the situation, Yeah, they actually usually aren't totally straight like no. like you know you like everyone michael bi. is supposed to be the straight guy on arrested development yeah and he is like the most narcissistic of all of them yes yeah exactly. and those sorts of decisions that he's making he seems normal because he's like normally self-interested but he's like self-interested and he's making decisions for those reasons and then the total insanity around him gets reflected through that yeah. You know, and there's just kind of a lack, like Paul Rudd just wants his kid back, I guess, but he has that. So but he like, has it. So like, what does he even, like, what does Paul Rudd want in this? Actually, this is a really good question. What does in, Paul Rudd want is, in this movie? What is Paul Rudd's motivating factor in this movie? Yeah, I guess he wants to help Hope because he's in love with her, but that's like the furthest I can take it. It was just altruistic. See, he, well, no, and he didn't seem to care about it in the preceding two years. No. Yeah, and I guess like, or is he just like altruistically willing to help them? I don't know. I mean, this is. I'm all for a movie that like bucks really base like kind of things like character motivation for you know or like fucks am, around with. I it. am not for movies that buck 
motivation well, for then, their characters. You like I, this movie? <laughs> what is well, his character no, but motivation? I, I like this movie on the terms of I don't particularly like Paul Rudd in this movie, but I think that like there's a lot in this movie that I enjoy. I think that there that there is. I'm not saying this, movie, this is a piece yeah. of art. I'm saying generally speaking, your movie is good if your characters have motivations. Yeah, I think that that like this. I I think that that like confusing character motivations can sometimes be interesting not so confusing much yes. yes the and absence like, of no no and i think that, that is that, that this is an issue that it says a lot that we did not even realize until this moment that paul rudd's character has no character motivation because this movie is trying to obscure that with all of these weird yeah. little plot twists and multiple it's just like, pulling him characters. along he's just being like yes. sucked through it the only time that we suddenly were like oh i like paul rudd is when he's inhabited by another character who has a motivation yes literally yeah. physically he becomes someone else and you go like i like this guy he's yeah. trying to get something done yeah and it's because a character that actually has a direction to go is taking over his body it's in some ways like it's very surprising to me that this movie was made the way that it was um this thing and five people wrote this script i think that that's the real issue and i think also they're just really handcuffed by like the way they have characterized that dude yeah, and I, that's why, like, you just you just gotta like reboot the character in some way. That's too but yeah, no, that. it was it was an error made in the first one by not just like giving it to Michael Pena. They just didn't give him an angle. He yeah. just doesn't have an angle. He just doesn't have a direction. In the first one, he is more of an angle, right? Because he he wants to get his kid back in that. Yeah, point. and, so and he his, wants to like his, prove yeah. himself in some way. And in this one, it's like I you know maybe there's a version of this where he's like super covetous of being like a real avenger and so he wants to like demonstrate that he's a real superhero or something you know what i mean like there's something where and that makes him like less likable i guess if he just like callously wants fame yeah but that's okay that's okay yeah i don't need to like him to enjoy watching him exactly and especially i don't need to like him for him to make me laugh yes very good point and He does not make. That's all I want is to be able to laugh. That's all I want is. To I laugh. just want to laugh again. <laughs> it's been it's been a rough few months, man. It's been a rough twenty twenty. Paul Rudd can't make me laugh in this movie. What the fuck? Well, it's funny. I saw there was some clip going around where Paul Rudd did a PSA for mask wearing, and it was fun to watch it and be like, "Oh yeah, Paul Rudd is funny, and I like him." Yeah. And we're watching some Parks and Rec, and you're just like, "Oh yeah, Paul Rudd is funny, and oh, I, I like him." He was in that. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's a good guy. He plays really a really dumb dude. I'd love Cider House Rules. Paul Rudd is in that. <laughs> Wow. I know. What a pull. Um, Wet Hot American Summer. We can just name Paul Rudd roles we like. Wet Hot American Summer is oh, good. Dude. I think that the joke of like the Wet Hot American Summer prequel where they're oh. all older, that might be my favorite just like large meta scale meta joke, joke ever in anything. <laughs> when... When I understood that that was what was going on, I still derived delight from that. Fat Michael Showalter in the same clothes. <laughs> yes. Killer. Uh, Michael Showalter. Oh, great. Um, so good on Search Party, too. Yeah. Man. True gift. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to come back to Michael Showalter later, actually. Let's talk about the post-credit sequence real quick. Yes. Uh, there's two of them. There's a mid-credit sequence, which I think is the one that we really want to talk about. Yes. And I believe that this was uh, filmed by the Russo brothers. Probably. Or, as I like to call them, actual adults. Dang. Uh, so, yeah, this is, like, uh, Lang is working with Pim, Hope, and now Janet, and they are trying to get quantum energy for Ava. Star. To, like, Ava Star. <laughs> as opposed to, is there another Ava? No, I just like saying it. <laughs> okay. I was uh, I was concerned that there might, there was another Ava that I was forgetting. Ava Star. Ava Star. 
Um, so Ava Star's got to get that quantum energy. Uh, they got to bottle it for her, but they have to go to the quantum realm in order to get it. So and they, now going subatomic is totally trivial. It's easy. Which seems like it really might have some implications in future movies. That's a good point. Yeah. It, it feels like it gets out of a lot of jams, Does but it Peter also Parker gets you into still, a jam. Yes. Uh, as happens here. Um, when Scott goes subatomic and they've got like a little rope on him so they can pull him back. If, not literally, but like, like kind of literally though. Do they actually have a literal rope? It's I think like, they might. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying they to might. This. They might. Um, but he goes into the subatomic realm to gather stuff and he's, he's got everything. He's got all the quantum energy he needs and he's like, I'm ready to come back, guys. And they don't bring him back. And we're just like, oh, oh. And we cut to the top of the roof where they were doing this, on top of the roof of the building again. Uh, they're on top of this roof, and they have all turned to ash. And it turns out that uh, the finger snap occurred while he was subatomic. Good good idea. Very good. Very I good. I love it. Credit sequence, yeah. Uh, and I, I... Grounds it again. And it also... You do need something that like brings you back to oh yeah that's happening because otherwise this is just like what is going on. I think that more than any other um, mid or post credit sequence, it is also absolutely part of the plot of the overall movie. It is not a stinger. Yeah, it that happens occasionally, but this is obviously very this important. Is like, this is a, yeah. If you did not stay for this, you literally will not understand probably what is happening next well, to Scott Lang. And it is yeah, it's actually. I mean, I don't know. It 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 it's an interesting little writing hole. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I'm kind of I'm fascinated by it. I think it's good. I think it's cool that they wrote themselves into that situation. I, I, mean, I presume that they knew what they were doing already. Oh, they definitely but, know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't just like they, they had it we'll all planned it. out. Yeah. I mean, but even if they were just like, we'll wing it. I think that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Um. Then there's a post credit sequence where we just see all of these shots of like empty rooms, um, where presumably other people have disappeared, and then like we see Scott's Scott a, Scott Scott's Lang's place, house. Scott Lang's house. It's all Scott Lang's house. Oh, is it all Scott Lang's house? Yeah, I don't okay. think it's like just like some. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe it is that the rest of the world is gone. I think that you see like I thought that it was like I thought that like you it was implied that his like daughter and um like the I don't his, know if I took that from it. Stuff. Okay. I maybe I yeah, I might have just inserted that might that be after true, the fact to maybe. give maybe I want to give him a motivation. <laughs> you crazy man. Uh give him some pain in his life. <laughs> but anyway, we get this final shot of the ant. Um, wrecking the drums which Uh, I think you commented that you wish that it would just go on I wish they had just licensed a full song and just animated that ant drumming an entire like all of Tom Sawyer or something I just want to watch the whole thing with the tinny sound I don't want the sound to actually play I want the tinny (laughs) headphone bleed of the song and then this ant just losing his mind I I agree I want that so badly but I think that we ask too much yeah you can dream big though yeah all right, man. We got to rate this movie. Yeah, we do. We got to rank this movie, I should say. Yeah, well, we've already rated it. Uh, give me the current standing on the list. All right, this is our current standing. At number one, we have Captain America Civil War. At number two, we have Iron Man, the first Iron Man. Heck yeah. At number three, we have Black Panther. At number four, we have Spider-Man Homecoming. At number five, we have Captain America the Winter Soldier. At number six, we have Avengers Infinity War. Seven is Guardians of the Galaxy. Eight is The Avengers. Nine is Iron Man 3. 10 is Avengers Age of Ultron. 11 is Doctor Strange. 12 is Thor The Dark World. Too low. Uh, 13 <laughs> is Captain America The First Avenger. 14 is Iron Man 2. 15 is Thor Ragnarok. Too high. Number 16 is no, Thor. That's, no, that it's, is it's, accurate. It's fine. Placement. It's accurate. Um, I'm, just, I'm just trolling. 
<laughs> 16 was Thor, then 17 is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and then 18 was Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man, and uh, 23, we have The Incredible Hulk. All right. Let me, so, let me take a look here. This is Let me come up on the corner and take one. a look here. So it's better than the original Ant-Man. We agree on that. Oh, definitely. Is it better than Thor? Is de- I think it's better than Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, it's definitely better two. than Guardians 2. It did I think not it's make better me than... angry the way that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 made me angry. I think it's better than Thor, but it, the, here's the thing. Thor, I knew you'd say this because Thor fancies itself a real ass movie in yeah. a way that this is I am a made for t- TV special. But like I, I I Thor is not a good movie. It is a bad no, movie. No, it is not. But a good I movie. am I am defensive of that movie because I think that Chris Hemsworth's like star turn as Thor is is so wor- compelling. Is so compelling that in the abstract, as long as I don't have to watch it again, I love it. <laughs> I have no desire to ever see that movie again. All right, but I will say that this is better. This is this is better than Thor. This is better than Thor. Yeah, I I didn't, and I think this is yeah. worse than Thor Ragnarok. I I can't tell if that's just because I'm caving to peer pressure. <laughs> I, I think it is because I think that like Thor Ragnarok, the jokes, so many of the jokes don't land, but it has like a charismatic main there, character. There is, there is has, a has, spirit it has, to Ragnarok. Like, I think that like the damning thing that we keep coming back to is that Paul Rudd, who is the main character of this movie, like we don't even talk about him in this recap particularly. He's fundamentally unlikable. But he is, he, yeah, and he is, but he is the main character of this movie. He is, he is, has the yeah, most time. Yeah, put it down. Time. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, like Thor has... Has like charismatic characters at the very least. I'm with you. So Ant Man moves in to the number Ant Man two, I should say, moves into the number sixteen slot. Yes. So Matt, can you read us the new updated canonical and totally factual list that ranks all the Marvel movies? Yes. Uh, to repeat myself. Yes. <laughs> Just for one, those who weren't paying attention. At number one, we have Captain America: Civil War. <laughs> and number two, we have Iron Man: The First Iron Man. At number three, we have Black Panther. At four, is Spider Man: Homecoming. Five is Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, six is Avengers Infinity War. Seven is Guardians of the Galaxy. Eight is the Avengers. What, Sorry. What, what's happening to you? Burp. Are you getting choked up? Yeah. I'm getting a little <laughs> moved. I had a beer. Um, <laughs> uh, nine is Iron Man 3. Ten is Avengers Age of Ultron. Eleven is Doctor Strange. Twelve is Thor, the Dark World. 13 is Captain America, the first Avenger. 14 is Iron Man 2. 15 is Thor Ragnarok. And then at 16, we now have Ant-Man 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp. There you go. Then uh, at number 17, we have the original Thor. At number 18, we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. At number 19, we have Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man. And at number 23, we have the Incredible Hulk. Truly, it's incredible. All right, man. I feel like we actually uh, kind of came to an understanding there. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. I was a little concerned the other day when you said that you would come around on Ant Man and the Wasp. I mean, I enjoyed it. No, I, did, I didn't hate my time with it. Yeah, I it it did not hurt me the way that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two at times I was yes. just like, oh, this totally. Is, this is ir- this is just like upsetting me because it is so. Or yeah, or like the wrong-footed in every regard, mistaken, self-serious yes. nature of like the Incredible Hulk or something. Exactly. So by virtue of being primarily a comedy, I think that it like it kind of gets off. Oh, it definitely a easy. does. But but yeah, no, I I agree. I think that I think that like that was. Um, I look forward to the next movie where we where we don't know what to do with it, like Iron Man three. 
Yeah. Oh, dude. Uh, we're running out of movies. Oh, we'll see what happens I hope, tonight. I hope we have strong feelings about Captain Marvel. We might. We might. That's true. Do you actually have anything that you liked outside of video games? I was going to... You to mentioned resuscitate you an mentioned old segment. Michael Showalter. Oh, um, yeah. I started watching this movie the other night. Like, it's been a shitty week, as you know. I don't think our, I've heard our listeners need to be reminded of that. Um, so, I, uh, when I'm having a shitty week, sometimes I like to find a CW show that oh, I haven't okay. seen before. And there's this one that's on Netflix. There's two seasons of it. It's called In the Dark. And uh, I'm going to tell you the plot of it, and okay. it's going to sound very familiar because mm. you have seen the show Search Party. I have. So, um, Are you about to spoil Search Party? No, I'm not going to. Okay. Um, Search Party is a movie or a TV show about people who are looking for their lost friend. Yes. Um, the first season of In the Dark, so far as I haven't finished the first season yet, is about a, uh, a blind woman who um, is friends with this guy who she then believes has been killed because she believes that she's found his body. Like, but she's blind, so she thinks yeah. she's found his body. She calls the police. They can't. They then can't find the body in the alley. That's great. Where it was. Great premise. Um, she is a complete wreck. She's like, her life has just kind of been like blown up for the past. Like she's like in her late 20s and her sure. life, is just, she's just been blowing up her life constantly. Like every chance that she gets, she just like is... Um, she's an alcoholic and has all kinds of issues. Of course. Um, I, there's also, there's of course a dog. She has a seeing eye dog and like, there's all this, there's all these elements also like have to do with like, with um, blindness, blindness. But uh, she essentially becomes obsessed with the idea of figuring out who murdered her friend. I love it. And it is like the driving, you know, it is very much similar to search party. It is the driving force behind it is, it gives her an identity, makes her make decisions. Yes. And I think that like um, search party does this as well. And I think that it's very interesting and I, it's, it's, it's it's not like super original but it's a kind of like character motivation that i find very interesting i think that it's very unique to this time and place when we all feel as though we don't have a whole lot of agency (laughs) and so when you feel like you can't enact change the idea that like none of us wants a friend to be murdered that we then have to solve the crime i hope you don't want that no (laughs) definitely not (laughs) But like the idea that like that she suddenly has this meaning in her life and that she is going to and that um, it is it creates strife of obviously it is not good meaning it is negative like energy in every way but um, it's a it's an it's an interesting show Um, and I like it and every so often it has really surprised me despite being a CW show it Mm. is like taken turns where I'm like that was not generic. Because like it's part of the charm of CW shows is that like you know there's a pattern there's a pattern yeah and I love that about them like I love Dawson's Creek sure. I love that watching like growing up like I liked kind of paying attention to Gossip Girl in the background that might not people have been like CW. Gossip Girl a lot um, Felicity all those kinds of shows sure um, I think that the the interesting thing here though is that like it it has surprised me as I've watched it uh, it's called In the Dark but the important thing is that Michael Showalter directed the first episode weird. Yeah, is yeah, it, I th- is he it also, comedic? It is. So oh, there are, okay, there are okay, okay. like it's not it's not nearly as much of a dark comedy as like Search Party actively tries oh, to okay. be a dark comedy, gotcha, right? Gotcha. Like so, it is not on that level. It is it's it's an hour long it, or it's like you know forty five uh-huh. minute long show. Um, but it has comedic beats for cool. sure. Uh, and it's definitely not as comedic as Search Party in some ways. But like it's got that Michael Showalter energy. And it's interesting that like it has so many ties to Search Party. Search Party is the better show, without a que- without question. Well, but like it's an third interesting season of Search Party. Ugh. I kind of like third season, just because I'm on board for it at that point. I mean, I'm gonna watch it all, but 
Ugh. I just get you know, I I am a sucker for like I get tied to the characters. To yeah, and I, I do like, like the I characters. Just, I just want more of them. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, where like my my ability to gauge the quality of something goes off the just, like, <laughs> completely dis dis, dis disappears because I am just happy to see more of these people. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, did you have anything that you that you liked? No, that wasn't a video game. <laughs> no, I did. What'd you like? Uh, I liked a song. Well, I liked I liked a whole record. Is it by the Disturbed? The band Disturbed? No. What's the name of the band that uh took the that has a, somebody who's in a ghillie suit on stage? Oh, the Armed. The, the armed. armed. No, the armed. it's not the Armed. It's not the Armed. Uh, it is. I think about the Armed all the time. I mean, I love the Armed. Yeah. Dude, that's my thing. I never listen to the Arm. I've armed. shown you the Armed. No, I know. I'm saying I never do. Oh, like on your own? Yeah, I have, but I never do. Yeah. But I think about them. Oh, it's incredible. Often. The Armed is sick. Yeah. Um, Refer back to one of our earlier episodes. <laughs> probably, but I think it's between like 20 and 35. Yeah, probably very early. But the the Armed are cool. This is a different band uh, called Polyphia. It's a good name. Yeah, it's a great name. They used to be a metal band and they were terrible. <laughs> Uh, and then they made a record like last year, two years ago called new levels, new devils. Uh, and it is basically like ultra technical ratatat. Oh, I think that you had mentioned Dude, something it is along these lines. Pretty sick. Uh, and yeah. there, it's these two virtuoso guitarists. The one was 16 when the band started and he is like a little elf of a dude. Uh, and they're, they're technical abilities are the sorts of chops that generally make me go. I hate this. But they layer it all over like the thickest hip hop beats, mm. and it's pretty nasty. And they have a song if you just like want to experience the polyphia and be like, "Yikes, this is technical." Uh, the thing you want to listen to is "Goat," like greatest of all time, like you know, "Goat" with periods. Is it like jazzy technical, like where you're just kind of like almost overwhelmed by it, or is it's it... weird because like I think that it appears that way because there's a lot of notes happening. Yeah, but actually, it's all like four four hip-hop okay you know what i mean but yeah, like they so it's do, actually very easy to get into i think yeah I, I we can listen to it because i'm actually kind of curious if a normal human would enjoy it because i think that it gets classified as progressive yeah and i also think that there's this weird element where a lot of their iconography they kept like the weird like scandinavian metal font logo and stuff are they scandinavian no they're totally they're american oh they honestly also their persona the like guitarists who are the leaders of this band their persona in public is that of like ultra gen z millennial hyper online like like aloofness mm. but it seems to be an act but it's also very unclear if it's an act it's it's really weird and there's a part of it's, me it's that, kind of like the da Vinci twins i guess so but it's also like something i generally miss about music in some way uh and I, it's personas weird. in general yeah like well and that definitely exists and like certainly in like a lot of hip-hop and they definitely have that kind of like soundcloud rap vibe to their persona in public yeah but something that i just miss from like the 80s and stuff is just like we're a band and we have a look and we have a vibe and we're the best band who's ever lived and we are totally flipped with interviews and mm -hmm. like we have a like like you know a persona that's totally fake it's all a construct you know what I mean? Yeah. But we're we're adhering to that. And we're everything is kind of a grift. Like it's all like a pro wrestler move where you're keep you're you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. That really has kind of gone out of fashion in a sense. Like especially like 
it went out of fashion in the indie rock that we in, were when we came indie, of age. Yeah, well, I mean, where where earnestness was was currency. Like, yeah, like Nirvana happened, and all of that just gone. Yeah, and then it, I feel like it sort of like resurfaced through hip hop, and now all of like the SoundCloud rap stuff has that. You know what I mean? Where people are like trying to keep it real so hard that a lot of them are dying super young. Yeah. Um. Well, is that a persona then? No, I mean that's that's the million dollar question. Yeah. That's I want to read a I want to read a piece on this. Well, or like long form article. I will not be the one to write it, but I'll tell you what, that song is dope. Greatest of all time. <laughs>